Good morning, everyone. If you would, pull out your Bibles, if you have one with you, and open to Luke chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 14 this morning. And while you're turning there, did you hear about this? Last week, a uh, Kentucky coal miner named Michael McGuire shows up at a University of Kentucky basketball game in his work uniform. Uh, His face and his boots just smeared with coal dust. And to say the least, he does not look like anyone else at this basketball game. And uh, the reason he shows up this way is that this is going to be his young son's first Kentucky basketball game, and McGuire cannot bear to miss the experience. However, with his shift ending late, he's got no time uh, to go home and to get through the shower. So despite a little bit of embarrassment, he comes as he is. And someone snaps a picture. It goes viral, uh, resulting in Kentucky head coach John Calipari hearing about this. Calipari, whose own immigrant relatives got their start in the coal mines, reaches out to this guy. He's so moved by McGuire's commitment to his little son. He reaches out, he contacts him, and then he follows up by sending this family VIP tickets to the Rupp Arena for an upcoming game on the Kentucky campus. And McGuire And his wife and little Easton are just absolutely thrilled. Just a great story. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, it, it's really no surprise that a story like this would make national news. After all, we love stories about people going low and then getting lifted up. In other words, people taking the low road, especially in service to another, and then being lifted up. Well, going from low to high is actually what today's parable is is all about here in week 12 of our Journey to Jerusalem series. I'm Dan Seitz, senior pastor here at Hillside. It's just so great to have you today for this communion service, and it's communion. And that means that in the bread and juice that we're going to take in about 20 minutes or so, we're going to do something absolutely amazing. We are going to retake our Lord into us so that we can be re-energized for the faith that he has called us to in this still before the storm of his royal return. Listen to this. You know, this week, every single one of us who knows Jesus the King, every single one of us who has been forgiven and freed is going to have all sorts of opportunities to share and to spread and to transmit God's glory. And this includes you find people in the front row, Edge and Riptide students. They're here, by the way. Are you glad the Edge and Riptide students are here in the room? Yes, I am too. Would you do me a favor? Would you keep the applause coming just for a second? Stand up and take a bow. Go ahead, go ahead. 
Very good. We're very glad you're here. That's right. Yes. Even better, wave to your fans. Okay, you can sit down. Very good. But if you know, listen to this, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord, meaning if you've given him your allegiance, listen to this, diffusing his glory everywhere you go is actually your supreme purpose in life. And listen to me here. I really want you to catch this. Your supreme purpose as a Christian is to give your fellow students and your teammates, if you're an athlete, I know Evie is, or your fellow musicians, if you're a musician, I know uh, Kaylee is. If that is, if you belong to Jesus, spreading, sharing, dispersing his glory wherever you go is your purpose. You are a transmitter of God's grace and glory. And that's the purpose that God gave every single human being when he handmade each one of us. It was this. It was to, wherever we go, to spread his glory and his grace everywhere. And that's what it means to be created in his image, to be given a purpose, to represent him, to share him, to spread his grace and glory wherever we go. And here's the thing. That's also the purpose that every single one of us abandoned when each of us in our own way copycatted Adam and Eve in our own way and gave God the hand. We gave up that incredible responsibility he gave us, but here's what's key to understand. Again, spreading God's glory, diffusing it, giving people an opportunity to experience the one true God through us and the way we relate and talk and do everything we do in life. That's the purpose that we are reconstituted to when we believe and when we are baptized. And speaking of baptism, Pastor Jane just brought this up. In two weeks, from today, in this service, we're having a baptism service. And I want to say this to you students and to everybody else in the room. If you know Jesus, you've given him your allegiance. She said, I belong to him. The reigning king is the one who I live for. And you've not been baptized. I can tell you confidently that Jesus the king would have you be baptized soon. Okay? You have an opportunity to do that in two weeks if you're ready. And if you want to talk about it, we have a baptism orientation meeting happening right after this service in Bergeson Hall. It will go 30 minutes, and I'll talk to you all about it, okay? But back to our regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> I love today's parable, and I think you will too. And above all else, this parable is a window into the essential nature of the one true God. It gives us a picture of who this one God who has no equals, there's nobody like him, who he really is. And I'll say this as well. This parable is important, but also if not interpreted with care, I mean really being mindful of the context, everything we've already learned in Luke and everything else the Bible says about who God is and he wants from us, we can actually head down some wrong roads. So we're going to be looking at this parable with some precision and care. Okay, let's get to it. Luke 18, 9 through 14. What a parable. Listen as I read. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust adulterers, 
or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look, lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's God's word for us. As you know, if you've been here for this series, this parable follows the parable of the persistent widow, which we looked at last week. Uh, anyone remember from last week, if you were here for the big DR week, the big idea of last week? Anyone remember? The big idea of that sermon, it was this. You know, I put work into these things. I want you to remember them. <laughs> you think this is just a bunch of words week to week? <laughs> Give you a hint, Pastor Jane. Mission is the ultimate form of faithfulness. And last week we were reminded that, that King Jesus promises to return someday. And when he comes back, he's going to bring justice with him. In other words, he's going to bring his comprehensive rightness to the whole world. And we saw last week that even before his resurrection and his ascension, Jesus said that he was counting on his people's faith and faithfulness during what will prove to be a very, very short interim between his uh, enthronement and his return. And that was the point of this thundering final question that he gives us in verse 8. He says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And what a great thing that God has called us, each one of us here who know him, to this ongoing, fierce faith. Because that's the very thing that keeps the spiritual life spicy. You know, in a, in a famous fantasy novel, some of you will have heard of, this knight gets the opportunity to go back into battle after being sidelined for a while. He goes into captivity. And during this ensuing sword fight that he's in, after, again, being out for a while, with this totally formidable opponent, a, a, a scrape that he's not even sure that he's going to survive, we read this. The knight's blood was singing. This was what he was meant for. He never felt so alive as when he was fighting with death balanced on every stroke. And friends, that's what was true for that night is true for us. When we have a cause to fight for, we are alive. And alternatively, when we are questless, we are listless and bored. And thankfully, as Christians, we have a fight. We have a mission. We have a quest. Jesus, our King, has given it to us. And it's wherever we go in the power of the Spirit to spread His glory and grace to people who need it and to stick to it until He comes back in blazing glory. Anyway, in Jesus' parable, two men go to the temple for a service. One's a Pharisee, the other's a tax collector. And Jesus first describes the Pharisee, and He notes that He's standing by Himself. He's away from everybody else. And at first glance, the Pharisee's prayer takes the form of a thanksgiving prayer. And there are several of these thanksgiving prayers in the book of Psalms, in which the speaker names specific things that God has done for him, uh, and then thanks God for each one. 
So this prayer sort of looks like a Thanksgiving prayer, but very quickly this Pharisee goes off script. And rather than thanking God for the very particular acts of grace or help that God has given him, what does he do? He thanks God that he isn't like other men, whom he lumps all together as criminals and cheaters. And in this odd Thanksgiving prayer, he also lists his own spiritual achievements. And he uh, gives special note to his fasting and his giving. And then Jesus turns his attention to the other guy in the scene, the tax collector. And unlike the Pharisee who somehow manages to be both front and center and yet kind of socially distanced from all the riffraff around him, this tax collector is standing to the side. And, and in the story, Jesus describes him as, as beating his chest which is a sign of mourning, and simply saying again and again and again, be merciful to me, God, for I'm a sinner. And we wonder, what's he so sorry for? Is it, is it some sin in particular? Just this last week as a tax collector, did he say bilk an old person or do a really good con to get more money for himself? Was that it? Or was he just lamenting over his own general fallen condition? It's hard to say. But then in verse 14, like so often happens in the Gospel of Luke, we get a total reversal. Everything gets flipped on its head. Jesus says, of the two, it's the sorry tax collector and not the self-assured Pharisees who goes home justified, meaning in right standing with God. And then in the final half of the verse, Jesus says what he's already said one time in Luke. This must have been very important to Jesus. He says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And friends, I find this parable to be so reassuring I really do, and I find it reassuring because of what it tells us about what the one true God is really like. And this point sort of jumps off the page, but it's important to press into anyway. Think about this. The one true God, the only one who exists. The God of burning holiness, whom Scripture describes as being surrounded by innumerable powerful spiritual beings, seraphim, saying over and over again, holy, holy, holy. The one God who holds each of our lives in his hands, keeps our brain stem alive, keeps our hearts beating, keeps us breathing. The God who will one day test our lives, Scripture says, and isn't embarrassed to say it, like silver through his son, Jesus the reigning king. That God, like no other, whose greatness beyond, is beyond anything we could even begin to imagine, that God is merciful. And is that good news? At least to those who live humbly before him. And doesn't it reassure you, think about this, that the God who made you, the God who has absolute power over every minute of your life, and the God who one day will determine your eternal destiny, that God is merciful to us. You know, the famous theologian Karl Barth, who wrote reams and reams of pages on the character of God, and as a German theologian would often write sentences of like 
300 words, and that would be a short one. He said this in his big book of theology, God's very being is mercy. <sighs> and when our failures are front and center in our minds, we can be freed from that misery by remembering God's mercy. He's merciful to his core. And in reflecting on this merciful God, the inspired David wrote this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you won't despise. So Jesus' parable is reassuring to us because it affirms that God, even in his mysterious otherness, is full of mercy for each one of us. But can I say this also? Kind of like my friend Randy Fishback shared last week in staff in a very perceptive comment. I also find this parable a bit rattling. <laughs> and maybe you do too. And that's because Jesus says plainly that the Pharisee does not go home justified. He does not go home in right standing before God. And the reason seems to be twofold. First, because he denies his need for regular cleansing. Instead of depending on God's grace, he depends on his own sense of goodness. But second, and this is the thing that really jumps out at me, because he holds others in contempt. And if I'm honest, if I really look into my own heart and I become aware of kind of the things I say, my little editorial comments around the home, you know, I got a lot of this Pharisee in me because contempt comes fairly easy to this guy. You should hear some of my rants at home. Joshua and Drew could repeat them verbatim. People with big scary dogs trying to order a burrito and getting rude treatment. These are the things that I rant about. But here Jesus is teaching something very clear that contempt for others is simply incompatible with a humility required for our own ongoing pardons, which we all need. And I think there are a lot of reasons why disdain for people who fall short of God's moral will is actually reprehensible for God. But one of them has to be that it simply chokes off our compassion to them. It, it chokes us off from extending love. You know, it's very hard to serve others. It's very hard to share good news with people, which is our fundamental calling, right, as disciples. We're spreaders of the glory of God. Very hard to do that with people for whom we are seething with scorn. And rather, Jesus says in Luke 6:36, we are to be merciful as our Father is merciful. You know, a few weeks ago, at a, at a work day that the men's ministry put on, uh, while everybody else was working, uh, cutting branches, sweeping, cleaning, I was having a conversation with Dan Carl and Dave Hawkinson. We should have been working, but we weren't. But we had a great conversation. And Dan said something so interesting that I have not been able to stop thinking about. He said, why aren't Christians more merciful? Why aren't we? We've received mercy. Why aren't we overflowing with mercy for everyone else? 
it's gotten into my head. Now, I said at the get-go, this parable needs careful treatment. Because actually, if we're not careful, it can take us down some wrong roads. Let's, let's do that now. Let's consider what Jesus is not saying in this parable. First, Jesus is not slighting spiritual disciplines. Fasting or other spiritual practices that actually position us for an experience of God's power to land on us. And Jesus actually assumes that we, his followers, he says this in Matthew 6, he assumes that from time to time we'll fast in order to deepen our dependence on God and to put some urgency into our prayers. So he's not saying that. And neither is Jesus condemning generous giving. You might remember this if you were here for week six of this series in a message called Bounding Over Generosity Barriers, in which we talked about Sedona dream houses. Maybe you remember that. We learned that Jesus calls each of us as his followers to be open-handed with what we have, to be generous, and therein lies all sorts of joy. And his giving is one of the extraordinary paths to ecstatic joy. It's a good thing that Jesus did not condemn giving. But perhaps the most important thing to make clear in this parable is this. Jesus is not dismissing the pursuit of holiness, as if somehow that in itself amounts to pharisaical pride. And we know that based on what we've already established in Luke, where Jesus says explicitly in 532, I've not come to call the righteous, but he says, but sinners to repentance. Repentance, meaning a change of mind, which results in a change of direction, including in the direction of the character of Jesus. And this is really important, especially for younger people to understand who are breathing a lot of uh, cultural air. That this parable is not disparaging focused attention on Jesus moving forward in transformation and conformity to him. It's important to emphasize because in today's world, and you get this every day, it's largely assumed that the highest good is for each of us to conform to whatever it is that we find within us, regardless of whether that stuff is unstable and unchanging. Well, because that philosophy is everywhere, it might be possible, especially for a younger believer, to mistake Jesus' commendation of the tax collector and his critique of the Pharisee as an endorsement of like what you could call the expressive individualism in our culture. But I want to tell you that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's making a more refined point, and this is what it is. Jesus, our Lord, is inviting us to relish his mercy, and we need it all the time because we mess up all the time. But then to use that compassionate cleansing as a catalyst for getting back on the road of joyful transformation with him. That's how it fits together. And that road of transformation, when we follow him day by day, letting him change us into the image of, him, of his own self, that's joy. That's joy. So what does this parable come down to? Here's what I think. I might ask you about this next week. You might want to remember. As Christians, we are to walk low. We are to aim high. And we are to always give grace. Can I say it again? As Christians, we are to walk low, recognizing we need God's grace every day as much as everybody, anybody else. But we're to aim high, seeking his transformation in our lives, and wherever we go, we give 
grace, not condemnation. You see, what might be our first instinct, despite what might be our first instinct, there is actually no conflict between these three basic dance steps of the Christian life. Listen to this. There's no conflict here. Regularly acknowledging our need for cleansing and renewal. We must do that. Number two, pressing on in our own transformation. Letting Jesus through his spirit renew us from the inside out. And then lastly, pouring out mercy on everybody else. Both those who haven't yet been reconciled to King Jesus and those who have, but who for whatever reason just have not grasped the full scope of Jesus' transformation agenda. In other words, I want you to get this. I think this is a very important thought to think really well about Christianity. Humility, holiness seeking, and mercy they may look like they don't go together, like a Kentucky minor at a basketball game. But in reality, they blend perfectly. And you know what they do? They make for beautiful personhood that draws other people to Jesus. Humility, holiness seeking, and mercy for everyone. People find that combination irresistible. And in calling us to go low, to walk humbly before God, to recognize we need him every day. We need his cleansing grace every single day. This parable has been a great preparation for communion. But there's one more reason why it's great, and I want to show it to you real quickly. And don't miss this. This is so cool. Look back at verse 13. You can find it in your handout or your own Bible. This is amazing. Our English versions translate the tax collector's desperate prayer this way. Oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. Get this. Greek word here translated be merciful is hilaskamai. And certainly it carries with it the big idea of showing mercy. But you know what? It's actually a lot more than that. You see, same word shows up several other places in the Bible. And you know where it's translated there? Make atonement. And I'll give you an example, Hebrews 2.17. For this reason, Jesus became a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God that he might make atonement for the sins of the world. Same verb translated, be merciful, in our passage, verse 13. What's the significance? Everything. When in Jesus' story, the tax collector asks that God would show him mercy, he's asking that, but he's asking for a lot more than that too. He's asking that God would make atonement for him, that God would cover his sin and clear the path for restored relationship. And do you see now why this story is so perfect as a lead into communion? Because in this meal, what are we remembering and what are we celebrating we're celebrating that God in his entirely willing son, Jesus, has done just that. He's made atonement for us. And not just for that sad sack tax collector. But for every single one of us in this room. He would go on to do that. And he did it through the death of his beloved son on the cross for each one of us. And now that means that being cleaned... We are ready to live new lives. We're ready to live lives of radical love. 
We're ready to live lives of faith. We're ready to live lives in which we go low in seeking God's grace every day, but we still aim high for increasing conformity to Jesus. And we're powered to live lives of mercy that mimic God himself. That's what we're celebrating today. It's communion time. Let's take a few moments to mimic the tax collector. Let's bow our heads. Let's acknowledge what is true. That though we are in Christ and filled with the Spirit, we often fall short. And we are in need of our merciful God's regular cleansing. Let's take a moment to reflect there. Now let's take some moments to marinate in God's mercy. His compassion for us. His recognition of our weakness. His awareness that we are still dust. And let's enjoy his cleansing. Father, we are so grateful that you are merciful. Your wonder, your power, your person is beyond anything that we can imagine. Though we see your face in Jesus, you're transcendent. But you are merciful. You've demonstrated that in giving us your son, to die on the cross so we could be cleansed, renewed, so we could be restored to the lives you made us to live, those as your glory spreaders throughout creation. Father, we're grateful for your mercy. We soak it in. We acknowledge we need it, and now we experience your real-time restoration and renewal. Thank you so much. Thank you that in this moment, there's no need to fear. There's no reason for spiritual anxiety. We are cleansed, justified, restored, in right relationship with you because of what your son has done. We are grateful. And so we release all of our burdens, our guilt, any shame we walked in here with today, Any deep sense of being a failure, we just let it go. 
and we receive your mercy and your compassion and your love. Make it soak into our marrow in this moment. We are so thankful. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Communion will work like it usually does. We have three stations, as you can see up here. And once our servers are in place, I'll signal that it's time to come up, those of you who would like to take the meal. Uh, when you do, I'd ask that you come up the center aisle. As you approach, you can come to any of the three stations. Uh, you can take bread from one server. You can take juice from another. And then if you would, go back to your seat uh, in the outer aisles. And if you would, hold on to your elements so that we can all take together. If getting up here would be difficult for any reason, uh, just show us your hand and a server will take the elements to you. We'd, we'd love to do that. You know, if there's any reason why you would prefer not to join in the meal, just stay where you are and enjoy the moment. We also give you the opportunity to come up and receive a blessing. We'd love to, to give you the Numbers chapter 6 blessing. God would shine his face upon you. A blessing's a real thing. We'd love to share it with you. And just to indicate that you'll be receiving a blessing, you can just cross your arms like this and we'll know to bless you. Servers, you can come forward. As people of the Evangelical Covenant Church, we believe the Lord's Supper is for everyone who knows Jesus. You've come into a relationship with the living Lord. We believe this meal is for you. You don't need to be a member of this church. You don't need to be a member of any church. You don't even have to be a regular attender of a church. If you know Jesus the Lord, this meal is for you. Again, if you haven't figured out what you believe about Jesus, that's okay. We're so glad you're here. We want Hillside to be a place where anybody can come and learn about Jesus the King. And so if that's you, you're a Hillsider, but you're not a believer, you're experimenting or exploring, we are, we're overjoyed you're here. This is your home just as much as it is for anybody else. Uh, but you're welcome to come up for a blessing. You may all come forward. Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, merciful son, to you be praise and honor for giving yourself, for shedding your blood, letting your body be broken in death for us so that we could be restored to the high road of friendship with you and to the glorious calling of being your glory spreaders throughout creation. Merciful Father, please bless this bread which we eat together. Bless this cup which we drink together. And let us through this blessed bread and this blessed cup become partakers of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Before we partake, let's do the Lord's Prayer together. And before we begin those familiar words, um, I just want to pray for that young girl that Tom told us about, Grace. And uh, just keep her in your prayers. So let's pray, and I'll pray for her, and then we'll join together for the Lord's Prayer. Heavenly Father, um, we just lift up our hearts uh, full, so full of love and uh, fear really, for this young girl, Grace, that Tom ministered to so beautifully. Um, we pray that she would find um, Christian companions who can walk with her as she discovers the, the beauty of the love of Christ. Um, hold her close, Lord. Keep her on a safe path. And now we pray together the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This is the body of Christ, broken for us. Let's eat together. This is the blood of Christ shed for us. Let's drink together. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us this morning as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus, in feeding us with his body and blood. And in so doing, you have reduced us with your spirit. We thank you for the strength you've given us this morning.
Thanks for the difference it's going to make this week as we return to our callings to bear light, to extend mercy, and to spread your glory wherever we go. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Let's celebrate in song. Before uh, I let you go, I want to share some good news with you. You might know this if you read the email that came out last night. John and Catherine Grant have agreed to serve as our interim worship directors during this season in which Keon Amelie and his team are looking for our permanent person. And I want to tell you, I could not be happier about it. Uh, yeah, you can give them a... a Uh, I won't say everything I said in my letter, but John and Catherine are wildly gifted. They love our church, and they are showing up in this role just in time. They've been a blessing already, and they're going to continue to be a blessing during this season. So uh, I want to thank you in advance, Hillside, for all the love and support you're going to give these two while they're in this role. I know you will. So uh, anyway, we thank you. Why don't you give them another hand? This is a big thing to step into. Yeah. Right before Christmas. How's that for timing, huh? <laughs> Don't forget, there will be prayer ministers up here ready to pray for you, uh, pray for you uh, up here and in the back. Don't forget, there's a baptism meeting right now. I'm going to zip right over to Bergeson to host it. It'll only go 30 minutes. If you're curious about baptism or you wanted to find out more about it, join me for that meeting. All right, your benediction, dear friends. Here it is. This week, as you return to your created calling and your new creation calling to <clears throat> spread God's glory and grace wherever you go, may you go low, may you aim high, and may you give grace always. God bless you, and we will see you next week.